Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.high5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy highfivegear.com. Hey, bowlers, Bowling This Month is back. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Craig Spencer. Craig is the co-owner of Virtual Bowling Supply and also the tournament director of the Strike Force Tour Arizona Handicap Tour. Now, I do have to say, I had a chance to sit down and chat with Craig literally the same day the new rules were announced by the USBC regarding the Open Championships. So one of the first questions I get into with Craig is about the Open Championships. This is why we did not hit that timing of things we just actually talked literally the same day that announcement was made so i'm going to get into things with craig you're going to hear some pins in the background a little bit of background noise from the interview but it was a great interview so let's get into things right now with craig as i begin my first question so craig as we begin the open championships getting underway a lot of people want to get their arsenal set up heading out to syracuse i know we don't have the pattern we the usbc stopped releasing that but what advice do you have for your customers as virtue and then also just for people out there listening uh, yeah, I think uh, the good advice depends on the overall skill level and what your goals are. Um, there's a wide range of skill levels that compete at USBC, so it really depends your skill level. I would say the one thing that gets underestimated a lot is a spare ball, especially since they've been harder the last several years. Um, a lot of the times people are coming in looking for what ball for nationals, and a lot of the times their goal is to try to create some kind of area. Uh, at nationals and when you're only competing you you know once a week for a lot of guys they're bowling in league maybe once a week maybe twice a week it's going to be really difficult to be sharp enough and execute at a high enough level to really create a good amount of area with any bowling ball Um, so striking is going to be pretty difficult for most of your average league bowlers almost no matter what kind of bowling ball you buy there's certainly some bowling balls that will help and allow you to see maybe the shape that you want to see but again, at that sharpness level of only bowling maybe once a week with very little practice, even when you see the right shape, it will still be difficult to strike. And when you're not striking a lot, spares become crucial. And for a lot of the league bowlers um, and slightly competitive players that don't carry a spare ball or plastic ball, they really they lose a lot of pins at, at, uh, at USBCs because 
they're trying to throw a reactive ball at their 6'10", 3'6", a lot of those and they're chopping them. So the thing that I would recommend the most to m the majority, uh, the big bigger demographics is spare ball, um, getting used to that and then lots of practice. And then lots of practice. I mean, I compare it to kind of golf where if you played once a week with your buddies um, at your kind of local course that you always play at and you're accustomed to, that's normally pretty easy. If you played once a week with your buddies and you didn't really do a lot of range time and then all of a sudden you had to go play Augusta, you, you the first thing you would be thinking is I really need to hit the range and really sharpen up. You, you wouldn't necessarily be thinking what kind of clubs are really going to help me score better at Augusta. You, you're thinking, man, that's a much harder course. And, um, I need to be sharper. So. And all that being said, we do still want to vary up our arsenal of what we have, though, when we go out there, so we don't have balls that give us the same shape, same motion as as what we absolutely, see. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I definitely don't want to um, try to underestimate the importance of equipment. It really is. But I would say in today's bowling culture, and you know that's already definitely there's already a lot of emphasis on it so it doesn't there's there's no help needed to add more emphasis to getting the right bowling ball and you know trying to create more area and giving as much uh positive credibility to the bowling balls i guess or, you know or or those being they get a lot of they get a lot of uh hype as it is a lot of people are hyping the bowling balls and stuff you don't really ever see necessarily too much on Facebook for the player so I'm like hey this ball was amazing um, so what I'm getting at is you're absolutely right equipment's important having the right equipment is important I would say for most players it's going to be your duller smoother equipment um, I would say if there's any one thing that I would say for league players to really take a look at it would be some of the asymmetric urethane balls that have hit the market the hot cell and the black widow urethane so a lot of the uh, that league player, they when they hear urethane, they think this is only for dry lanes. Um, but these balls actually flare, and they flare quite a bit, and it creates a lot more shape and a lot more motion uh, for urethane than what players are accustomed to. So even if you're kind of a medium power, lower rev player, um, you can still get them to hook quite a bit, and they make the ball motion when the patterns are flatter a lot more controllable. The other thing is, is because they flare, they don't necessarily push oil down quite as much as the traditional urethane ball does uh, because they do flare. So um, I would definitely, you know, always work with your pro shop operator, people that you trust with your game. Uh, but definitely take a look at that as a potential option and definitely know that just because it says urethane doesn't mean they all do the same thing. It's kind of similar to resin bowling balls. So resin, all resin bowling balls aren't super similar in the same way now that urethane balls are no longer as similar as they used to be. So... And Craig, you run a lot of tournaments back here in the Phoenix area. Do do the Strike Force, which is more of your handicap, correct? Your handicap type tournaments. Get bowlers of all skill levels out there. But yeah. talk about how you've been able to kind of keep that going here during some kind of tougher times and even some competitive times of people having to make choices of what to bowl when and some advice for maybe some folks who run tournaments who maybe aren't having the success that you guys are having. That's a great question. I would say that, first of all, Phoenix is a great bowling area. Uh, the first thing is, regardless of ideas or anything like that, marketing, execution of any of it, first off, I had a hu the huge advantage of being in an area that has a lot of bowling that goes on um, and a lot of competitive bowlers. Phoenix 
Um, some people may not know it, but it is, especially for where it's at uh, geographically, is pretty good. I mean, it's pretty darn good here in terms of the amount of bowling and the amount of business uh, in general. So that first is, is a huge part. I would say while, why we have maybe been, why Strikeforce has maybe been more successful than some of the, the other options, I would say it's mainly consistency, transparency, and marketing. Um, for the most part, you know, we don't, the rules don't kind of change. We have a rule book. It's very transparent. It's very consistent. And I think once bowlers really believe that you have a really good, credible event going, they start to believe in that a little bit. Um, and then just marketing. Um, I would say that a lot of tournaments that I see, they don't really do a whole lot with marketing or trying to create a brand. And a lot of tournaments are always trying to change something every quarter or bi-monthly to try and create more entries. Um, when I started Strike Force, I had something that I believed in that I wanted to do and if it failed, I was okay with it failing. I would rather fail doing something that I thought was the right thing for the sport than succeed trying to chase entries based on uh, what the consumers said they necessarily wanted. Um, and one of the big differences I would say with Strike Force compared to most of the alternatives in the handicap tournament realm is sport patterns. So every single tournament we bowl on is always on a pattern that's three to one or lower. Um, and the handicap system then can be 80% of 210, um, which is very different than some of the other systems that you see city state where the handicap systems get really high, 80, 90% of 230. Um, and I really think that the sport pattern is the reason why we succeed now and people keep coming back is because every tournament is really a different experience, uh, bowling on all the different patterns. And now people feel a lot more challenged and that, that journey for them to develop as a player looks very different now. It's very hard for them to reach the pinnacle and average over 200 in strike force. Um, so they stay engaged a lot longer. You know, our the bowlers that bowl our events. You know, we've have we've had some that have bowled since the very beginning, and they still bowl every weekend or every other weekend, and they're still trying to get better, and they're still getting coaching and those kinds of things. And I think a huge reason for that is the continuous use of sport patterns. It seems like too you also understand your audience with it being a handicap tournament. You know, you're not going to grab some of the higher end average players, but there's a more of a pool you could say a bowlers in that middle to lower end that you can grab and if that means you're going to lose a few entries you will but you're going to make up for it in the long run and certainly everyone's open to bowl they just are getting any handicap yeah absolutely it's funny because <clears throat> um you're absolutely right there and i i would say that we lose we don't see as many of the super high averaged league players bowl um and i'm not again i'm not necessarily looking to them for feedback and looking to change rules on the fly to try to gain those entries um mainly we have membership meetings and then and the members vote in the rules and then basically i'm just the guy who enforces those rules but i don't necessarily come up with anything on my own but what i would say has been really interesting <clears throat> Because as you look across the country, you don't really see a lot of tournament handicap tournament clubs that use sport patterns nonstop. Um, and because of that, what I've experienced is maybe a little different uh, than what other handicap situations have experienced. And what that is is now that so when we started, we had 80 percent, 90 percent of 220, 230, like most handicap tournaments use. But as we use sport patterns, we found that 
our the, the highest average players were still only averaging 2-0 and so there was no need to have a handicap system go that high and over the years we've slowly come down to 80 percent of 210 and the ironic part is is at 80 percent of 210 in divisional bowling you know we have a and b and c divisions um, which a lot of other handicap tournament clubs have they have divisional bowling in the A division, if you are a higher average player, you're not really necessarily uh, our the, the division stops at 186, so you know you're not spotting a ton of pins there. So the handicap element, that sandbagging element, now is really minimized for the higher average player. But what I have found is, even though they look at that and they can say, okay, really in my division as a higher level player, I'm only spotting say maybe 15 bins a game or something like that nothing that's too crazy intimidating they actually still don't like to come out and bowl and um what i've learned from it is that what i would say to the, those out there trying to run handicap events is that <clears throat> at your higher end bowlers choose a lot what they choose to bowl is a lot more based on uh how that tournament correlates to how they identify as a player so a lot of the times they will not bowl a handicap tournament because they think it's handicap and there's going to be sandbaggers and those kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is, is that they mainly like to bowl an event that uh, correlates to where they see themselves. And so they actually, a lot of the times, feel like a handicap tournament is a little bit beneath them. Um, and I used to think it was because it was the pins and the handicap and that your higher skill level players were really just going to be looking at prize fun and all of the logical things. I, I used to believe that the higher end player was really more of a logical bowler. Um, and as our handicap has come down and uh, more of our higher end players in our area are seeing that there's not necessarily a lot of handicap at 80% of 210 and still not bowling, I'm starting to realize that really the decision that how they decide to bowl is also still quite a bit emotional. And it has a lot to do with, are the other elite players bowling? Is this a, a long format? Is this, is this things that I really like and value as a player that identifies being an elite player? You know, three game sprint with handicap, eh, that just that's just not my cup of tea. And it's really not as logical as I used to think that they were. You bring up sandbagging. That there was a big issue earlier in the year back in Michigan. There were some folks who did this in in a tournament, ended up coming in there, etc. How do you? How does? I mean, and it sounds like the rules are fairly fairly straightforward. But what advice do you have for tournament directors to combat that? And then let's say a guy comes in from California who, who you haven't seen, you're going to go back and look at his averages and and see once if there. And then if there's anything fishy too, you're going to right away point that out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's. Sandbagging is a tricky one. Um, I would say over the years, what has changed for me is the way that I see it. I see sandbagging now as either proactive sandbagging or reactive sandbagging. And the only type of sandbagging that I really feel is effective and works is proactive sandbagging. So to explain the difference, proactive sandbagging is when somebody is coming to the tournament prior to even throwing a ball and they have a game plan and strategy to lower their average and create a significant advantage. Um, reactive sandbagging is when someone starts to try to bowl as good as they possibly can, they have a bad game or two, and then they give up and they don't care and they bowl 120 the last game to potentially lower their average. Um, reactive sandbagging I don't think is typically as effective from a profit standpoint. I think a lot of the people out there when they see it in league or they see it in tournaments, they see sandbagging and they go, man, this is why I hate handicap bowling is because this guy's sandbagging. 
but while that person is maybe inflating their handicap, they're doing it at, at a financial cost. So with reactive sandbagging, it's not normally profitable. But proactive sandbagging obviously is picking and choosing your times and, and making sure all three games are low, those kinds of things. So to, I, based on that, I don't really believe there's as much sandbagging as the general consensus believes because I think the general consensus sees a lot of reactive sandbagging as sandbagging when really it's just a bad mental game. You know, people just give up and don't care. Um, and they, they say, oh, well, I'm just going to bowl bad to lower my average this last game. But they don't. It, it's really just a bad mental game. It's not really sandbagging to the true intent, I think. Um, and to answer your question about what we've done and why we don't experience it, I mean... You could pull the strike force bowlers, and you will have some of them that feel like certain members sandbag a little bit. But I think the reason that um, we just do not have that complaint at all is one: the handicap is system is low. Eighty percent of two ten has a lot less handicap, um, and the other thing is is sport patterns again have really really helped because um, you know when you bowl on house all the time, it's pretty easy to keep your average twenty pins below, and when you need to turn it on, you can turn it on. But because all the patterns play the same and you kind of know what to do but if one week you're bowling on 32 feet and then another week 40 and 42 and, and 47 and you have all these different distances you have to be a very complete player to be able to know what to do to increase your average 20 pins on the fly to be able to turn that switch on so i would say the sandbagging now we have minimized to certain patterns so the sandbagging that I see now is guys will keep a low average and they'll wait for a particular pattern and they may come out and bowl that particular event on that pattern that they match up on and know how to do it. But now all the other patterns that we bowl on, they don't match up as well on and they can't necessarily just turn it on and increase their average by 20 pins. So I know that's a long-winded answer. Like, well, and, and like what? My no, what I'm hearing is though is you almost have to be more skilled to sandbag yeah. on a hand and and the the skill level that you're attracting to be able to do that with the right equipment and make it not seem painfully obvious. It's not easy yeah, to do. Absolutely, no, that's 100 percent right. And there are instances where I've seen guys come out with an average, and I watch them bowl. And that's the other thing is house shots can make someone look really, really good, and that can make really identifying someone's ability really hard uh sport patterns do the opposite so if you have someone that's averaging 200 or 190 or even 185 and they're coming in at 130 or 140 on a sport pattern it's pretty evident that this person's average is not very accurate but on a house shot i mean you never know you might never see them shoot a spare they might be the worst spare shooter in the world but on a house shot it's easy to strike seven times a game and and average really high on a sport pattern, you're not going to see that too often. So if someone is averaging 210 or 200 for a block, they're doing it by making a lot of spares and making a lot of good shots. So, And if they came in with 150 or 160 or even 170 and they're able to bowl at that kind of skill level, you're going to easily be able to quickly identify it. So I think not only do sport patterns make it harder to effectively sandbag or proactively sandbag, as I mentioned, but it also makes it a lot easier on the tournament director to really truly be able to identify what kind of skill level you're working with. All right, final question I have. It was announced not too long ago, the PBA moving from ESPN to to Fox. Fox Sports, Big Fox. With your pro shops that you run and with, you know, you always come into your shops, you guys always have on extra frame, you guys are very much supporting bowling in the centers, etc. What is your thought on that as far as, do you see any change or is it just going to be one of those things where, okay, now I put on the <laughs> whatever channel it's on versus ESPN? 
Uh, that's a good question. I mean, so a lot of the, we use the internet for most of our stuff in the shop. So that's YouTube, extra frame, those kinds of things. So the live telecast won't have as much of an impact on the shops. Um, but you know, there's no question that the PBA um, has a huge impact on everything regarding the sport and the way that we perceive it. I mean, even for me and my staff, the way that we feel about live telecasts versus recorded ones are very different. Um, and now I, we might not represent the majority of the demographic that watches the, the, the telecast. You know, I'm not really sure there. But you know, hearing more about potentially more live telecasts, those kinds of things, is, is extremely exciting. Um, and true, I, I don't. I would say that I'm not quite informed enough to really appreciate any advantages or disadvantages that it, it looks like. But you know, from reading a little bit and trying to understand that, I guess prior the PBA had to kind of sell their own advertisement sometimes, and sometimes it was like they were competing against ESPN because of the fact that you know a sponsor may already be involved with ESPN. Um, that obviously sounds like a pretty difficult spot to be in, and I guess from my understanding now, Fox is uh, selling, kind of selling for them, I guess. Um, and again, I'm n not nearly as informed as it's kind of fairly new news as I should be on it, but just that element in itself sounds kind of exciting. Because uh, from a business standpoint, I, I, the PBA is, that's where it's really always been lacking, is in the sponsorship and, and attracting those kinds of, so maybe now that there's that kind of arrangement, um, there'll be a larger pool of sponsors to maybe go after. You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, there was always a complaint that it was more of a demographic problem with acquiring sponsors. So I guess we'll find out now with kind of a different arrangement there with trying to sell sponsorship. Um, was it truly a demographic problem or was it a relationship problem that was maybe communicated as not a relationship problem for you know, for political reasons you know I don't so I'm, I'm really curious to see how how it unfolds on the sponsorship side on the sponsorship side all right Craig final question I do I do a 10th 11th 12th frame just three kind of short short answers more <laughs> um, you know ways people get, get to know you as well so uh, number one your favorite bowling ball of all time well, that's a good question. Now that you tell me the 10th, 11th frame, now I feel bad because I, I feel like my answers have been way too. We bowled like three games now, I think. Um, but uh, I, my favorite ball of all time is a V2 sanded. Uh, V2, the original V2 sanded, a black ball. Um, I actually had my first 800 with a V2 pearl, but the V2 sanded was a ball that I could just throw in everything, and it, it, it ended up becoming the game breaker line as well. And I love the game breaker line, but. Uh, and it's a black ball. You can never go wrong with a black ball. As a pro shop operator, do you sometimes feel you put too much pressure on yourself to perform on the lanes? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say I definitely used to before. Now it's more of when I bowl bad, I would say that it's kind of embarrassing. I don't necessarily put the pressure ahead of time. I'm a little, you know, I would say at the beginning I did. I wanted to show people that I was a good bowler, which you know somehow equates the to mean that you know what you're doing in the pro shop which doesn't necessarily always equate but that's kind of what you want to do you want to show customers that you know what you're doing on the lanes at the very beginning yeah but uh you know now that i've been doing it you know 13 14 years not so much but i, I would say i'm a little embarrassed when i go out the league and you know bowl 620 or something what is the in all your years of running your shop what is probably the most uh most embarrassing thing you've ever seen or had happen when you Oh, oh, actually, this is a good one. Um, you, you mean specifically to me? Or when someone came into the shop or yeah, something. Actually, this is a good one. This is one of my favorites. And uh, I, I, it's comical to me, so I don't, it, you know, I don't, uh, not too embarrassing. But 
I had a customer who was new in town. I was bowling league, and uh, I was on. I was bowling fairly well, and he was talking to me, and I was kind of building a relationship with him. He was looking to buy a ball, and he stepped behind me to watch me throw a shot with the uh, code black. Actually, is what it was. He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna come down and watch you. I'm being curious about getting it." I'm like, "Okay, no problem." So I throw that shot, and I use switch grips, and my switch grip breaks and flies out of the bowling ball. Now I've I've used interchangeable thumbs for years. I used the vice it prior to the switch grips and I've never had one break, ever. This is the first one in like years. But this potential customer came down and was obviously thinking about using us and watched me throw this very first shot ever. And the first thing that he sees is my interchangeable thumb explode. So, I mean, obviously if I was him, the first thing I'd be thinking is, I don't know if I want this guy to, you know, to drill my stuff because, you know, his stuff is falling apart. So it was kind of embarrassing, but it was pretty funny too. Um, And by the time I finished the frame, he had already walked away. And and, and so it it was pretty embarrassing, but it was funny too. Craig, well, appreciate your time. I know you're very busy with everything going on, but appreciate your time here and all the best of luck with all your shops. Thanks, man. Thank you for everything you do. And finally, before we go here, check out BowlingThisMonth.com. They are one of the Above180.com podcast sponsors. Bill and his team do a great job there with articles. Check them out on that website, Bowling's Best and Most Comprehensive Technical Resource. In fact, speaking of technical, they have a great piece right now on the USBC's bowling technology study. So Bill Semsrott himself did a great article breaking down some of the possible changes coming up with the bowling balls and the equipment regarding the USB-C. So great article there. Check that out as well. Seeing lots of great stuff. Uh, Ball reviews, of course, if you're heading to a tournament, check those out as well. And also the BTM tournament, which runs in conjunction with the USB-C Open Championships. That's going to be in Syracuse. There it is in Syracuse. Make sure you check out all the information for the tournament is there. There's a great hotel rate for folks looking to bowl up there. Also, Rick Ramsey, his wife Gail up there right now running the tournament. So check that out as well. Again, all that information, everything you need, one place to go. It's bowlingthismonth.com. Also, please don't forget high5gear.com. They are the only jersey you're going to see me wearing out there. Hi, the number 5gear.com. In fact, if you watched me at City Tournament or you saw me at City Tournament, that's what I was looking sharp in, my high five jersey. Could have bowled a little better, but at least I look good on the lanes, right? So check that out. Hi, the number five gear.com. Lots of great jerseys to choose from. You want to keep something a little more traditional like mine is, or you want to make it a little more flashy. You want to be like, say, a Kyle Troop or, or someone of that. You can make it as, as complex as you want. Thousands of designs. These jerseys, everything they do was designed by bowlers for bowlers. So they also have a, a great new practice line out there. So they have practice shirts, practice jerseys you can wear when you're practicing before you head out to your competition. Also, bowling pants both for men and women. These were designed, again, by bowlers. So they're going to fit you the way you want pants to fit when you're bowling. We all know you need to be comfortable when you're bowling. Again, check all that out. Hi5gear.com. Hi5gear.com. Also, you're going to get $20 off when you use the code ABOVE180 at checkout. So make sure you remember that. All these great things to choose from. Thousands of designs. Again, ABOVE180.com. Use that code in there at checkout. You'll get $20 off. Check out Hi5gear.com today.